Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you're blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church or its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to connect.redchurch.org.au. Well, it's fantastic to be with you today, and uh, it's my privilege to start a new series that we are jumping into here at Red over the next few weeks. It is called God's Vision for His Church. My name is Mark, if I haven't met you, and we're going to begin by opening the scriptures at Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 36 to 47. And as you're turning to that, uh, perhaps in your Bibles, as you're watching at home, I just wanted to lay out what we're talking about today. That is the idea that the church is a people called by God to be his children in the world. So the passage we're about to read occurs just after the Holy Spirit has fallen upon the disciples and the community gathered around them. And it's a transformational moment. Jesus told the disciples not to leave uh, Jerusalem until power fell upon them. And we've had the moment where that power came. The comforter, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, uh, who Jesus said he had to go so that the Holy Spirit could come. That has happened. And we're seeing this group of disciples becoming apostles sent ones. And we're seeing really the sort of the church beginning to form here. After the Holy Spirit falls, people sort of tumble into the streets. And this crowd who has come to Jerusalem uh, for this religious pilgrimage and one of the high holidays uh, sees this occurrence of these people falling into the streets, speaking in tongues. They presume that they must be drunk. And Peter, who in the Gospels often is this character who gets it wrong, he's sometimes a bit pig-headed, he, he's transformed. And he gives this incredible sermon where he actually says what's happening is that people are not actually drunk, that the Spirit has fallen. And this is what the prophets uh, prophesied that actually the spirit will fall on young and old and human beings will be transformed. He goes into this great salvation history, how, showing how the history of the people of God is pointed towards this moment. So I'm not going to read the whole speech. I just want to pick it up at the very end. And we're going to pick it up in verse 36. And so I'm going to read on from that point. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Those who accepted this mess- his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
And every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We have this incredible vision of the church here. The promise or, or command of Jesus to, for the disciples to wait until the power falls on them. We can now see why he said this. The Holy Spirit's power falls on these people. Peter is transformed. The crowd hearing, hear the gospel message. It pierces their hearts. They repent and are baptized. And then you can just see this community of the Holy Spirit living out the kingdom of God on earth. This is a beautiful image of what the church is to be. And I wanted to start with this piece of scripture as we begin this series, because it shows us what God's design for the church is. Now, we have to take this scripture and we have to approach it in a particular context. This is a vision of the church. It's, an, it's this ideal towards which we can strive with the Holy Spirit empowering us. It shows what happens when a group of people, in a sense, push along, aside their agendas and are transformed by God, transformed by the gospel message, transformed by the Holy Spirit. And today, as we gather and watch this on screens and listening to this at this moment of pandemic and disruption here in Melbourne, we are called to live this out in a particular context and time. And so everything we're going to learn about what the church is over the next couple of weeks is actually going to occur. Also, we have to interpret that in a particular context that we find ourselves in. And so I just wanted to sketch some of the elements of the context that we're in at this moment. First of all, we're called to live this out in a place like Melbourne, which is a place which is defined by secularism and post-Christianity. At this point, when we read of what is happening in this story in the book of Acts, these people are encountering this message of Jesus, many for the first time. These are people who have come from all different parts of the Greco-Roman world on pilgrimage to Jerusalem, And so many of these people may not have even heard of the name of Jesus. These people are in a pre-Christian stage. But we find ourselves in a post-Christian stage, a post-Christian stage in which people see that society or some people see that society has moved on from the message of Christianity. A line I've used often is they want some of the elements of Christianity. They want the kingdom, but they want the kingdom without the king. And what this does is, For us who are here, if you are here, I'm presuming that you have an interest in the church. You see yourself as part of the church. You're committed to Jesus's mission through the church. But we do this in a particular moment where post-Christianity and secularism is applying pressure to our social standing. You're not going to get many brownie points today in Western culture for going to church. The second reality is that we live in a time of comfort, distraction, and consumerism. We live in a time where people's uh, lifestyles are unparalleled compared to anywhere else in history, particularly in the West. And so what has happened, the church has been in this really interesting tussle over the last few decades and couple of generations where there has been this great momentous push to reshape the church how she operates her teachings 
according to the great ideology of our day, individualism. And so this has, in some ways, shaped the church in distortions, where we've made church about satiating the needs, the felt needs of people who come to church, of taking those gospel truths about us joining the church and being transformed by the gospel and the Holy Spirit. And some of that we've massaged and managed in ways where it begins to no longer actually look like the gospel. Instead, it begins to look like the culture. Thirdly, those two have been in play for a while, but we actually are now doing all of this in this time of pandemic where very few people I know, in fact, virtually no one I know, predicted that what would the church would face in the future. There was lots of books written about secularism and post-Christianity, lots of books written about the challenge of individualism and consumer or cultural Christianity. But I don't know one book who predicted that the church would move through a pandemic where we can't meet in person. I don't know about you, but I remember here at Red as we had gotten back in person finally after a long period of lockdown here in Melbourne. Felt like we were getting our stride again and reforming in person. And I remember like there was one week where I sort of looked around. I thought, man, something's starting to happen here again. And then the next week we went back down into lockdown. And lockdown doesn't stop the church being the church. There is the church in many places in the world, places like the Middle East, places like China, where churches has to be online because of pressure from government, pressure from different other religions that may be antagonistic towards Christianity. So the church is in many times and places used to not be able to meet like what we took for granted. But what this has done, particularly in our context, is that this is then collided with that sense of individualism, that reshaping around church as this place where, in a sense, we satiate people's needs. I was just before recording this on a call um, with uh, some church leaders in Canada about some research that I was being asked to comment on. And this is research that has come out of how has the pandemic affected church attendance uh, amongst millennials, uh, young adults in Canada. I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was around 40% of millennial Christians in Canada during the last year have actually moved churches. I think it was around 28%, 26% have left the church altogether. There is very few churches who have experienced periods of lockdown that people have not left. And that's true not just for the millennial generation, but for many other generations. And what we've seen during this time is that people who would come through a sense of habits have actually dropped off from the church. When the pandemic first hit and people went online in 2020, I was in a lot of conversations and asked to speak in a lot of different places in churches around the world. And there was this great overwhelming fear that a lot of church leaders had that if we went online, it would just balloon cultural Christianity. People could just sit and watch the service in their pajamas and wouldn't want to come back and they just would consume religious goods and services. My sense was that would not happen. And I'll tell you why. I remember when we first went into lockdown and I watched, had the weird experience of actually watching a service where I was preaching from my own house, very strange experience. I turned on my smart TV, sat to watch it with my family, and we went to go and watch it on YouTube. And I had to toggle past the Netflix app 
and the Stan app and the YouTube app or all these other apps to also to get to YouTube. And I realized that actually, I think the opposite was what was going to happen. We've found that church online doesn't make church easier and people are actually just going to, you know, just sit at home and consume. It's actually meant that a lot of people have dropped off. And even when church was deliverable into people's homes, we still saw the same trends that were occurring before of people dropping away. So if you are watching today and you're still pressing in, particularly in Melbourne, as we approach one of the longest lockdowns in the world, I just want to encourage you and I want to champion you on for continuing to press in at this moment. So there's been this great stress test on the church of commitment. When you can't meet for 18 months, who's going to still be there? The last one is that we see in this moment as church has gone online, as culture has gone through these various sort of upheavals is we increasingly are in this moment of misinformation where people don't trust leaders and institutions anymore. People will often form their own theology and thoughts via Google versus opening the scriptures or listening to wise voices. And so all of this is the context in which we are exploring this question. And yet, with all these challenges, with us as broken, human, fallible creatures, God still uses the church as this example of his kingdom in the world. Jesus, who said, I have overcome the world, is the one around whom we gather as the church. Is the vehicle he uses to advance his kingdom. And we are the vessel as the people of God whom he has chosen to fill with his spirit. So more than ever, particularly at a moment like this, with everything that we've been going through, it is vital that we understand the biblical foundation of what a church is. Why? Because too often we craft our vision Of God, we craft our vision of church according to our own preferences, reactions, and even hurts from the past. If you grew up in church, you carry a sort of embedded vision, your particular church you grew up in, a particular vision of what church looks like. Sometimes we're reacting against that. Sometimes we find that reassuring. We have all these images of the church that we take from popular culture. Have you ever thought how the church is represented in Australian popular culture? You think about a show like Neighbours or Home and Away. The fact that actually large amounts of Australians, even in secular society, still go to church is almost never represented in Australian culture. And so we bring all of this baggage with us of what the culture says about church, about our own lived experiences, maybe even hurts or even spiritual abuse from different places that we've experienced. And we bring this all to this conversation of what the church is. So this is why it's really important to actually go and ask the question of what is a theology of the church? Now, as we talk about this um, over this week and then the following two weeks, what I wanna do is I wanna center this around a really helpful way of understanding the church. That I think is actually really biblical, uh, put together by a guy, um, or I first saw this, um, uh, a guy, Matthew Capps, who's a Christian author, Bible commentator. And he looks at the, at the church through this paradigm of the Trinity. 
So if we think of the Trinity, we think of God. And what God's nature tells us about the church is that we are the people of God. We also, in the Trinity, have Jesus. And we have this language and imagery that we see in the scriptures that what the church is, is the body of Jesus in the world. Where Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father, but we're now called to incarnate and put flesh on the way of heaven in the world. And then we see in the passage that we began with today, the way that the church is shaped by the Holy Spirit. And so we're also called to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we're called to be the people of God. We're called to be the body of Jesus. And we're called to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so what I want to talk about today is our calling as the people of God. As the people of God, as the church, we are called to a new identity in God. God chooses his plan of redemption and salvation in the world by calling a particular people at a particular time. So the first thing to know as you, as part of the church, you are called out to be the people of God. We see this in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 2, where this particular man, Abraham, at the time known as Abram, is called out of everything he knows. Let's read that verse. In in Genesis 12, verses 1 to 2, it says this, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And this is really key to understand. We have many sources of identity. Particularly in the ancient world at this time, you were known by the people you came from, who you were related to, the land that you actually lived upon. And God is saying, leave those things. Now, he's not saying completely destroy your past or erase it all. But he's actually saying that in the world, part of his mission to bring redemption is to do that through a particular people into which he's calling them to a new identity. I'll read on. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. So first of all, we know that he's calling them out into a new identity. Second, these people are separated from everyone else in order to serve everyone else. This sounds a little bit counterintuitive, but the people of God are called to God, not just to hang out over here and be a holy huddle. They're actually called to God. They're separated to serve. So the church is called out. It's different to the rest of the world, but it's called out for a purpose. It is separated to serve the world. To read on from Genesis 12, chapters 2 and 3, it says, I will make your name great. But this isn't just great to be some wonderful people on earth. This is actually, you will be great. And I'll, sorry, let me read that again. I will make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all people on earth will be blessed through you. God creates a people in the Old Testament. He calls out the people of God to be a blessing on earth. So this is Israel that God is calling out, the Hebrew people. And we see this idea that God has to create a people of God who are separate and also called to be a blessing. They're called to serve. 
Now they're also called then separate with a calling, called out, and then they're called to be shaped in a new way by God. The people of God are shaped by God. Again, we see this with the Hebrew people in the Old Testament. First of all, they're called to holiness. Leviticus 11 verse 44 says, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. By being holy, we reflect his glory in the world. So we have people who are called out to a new identity. They're called out for a purpose to serve. But in order to serve, they must be shaped by God. The shaped by God is they honor and worship God. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 29, it says this, Ascribe to the Lord the... Sorry, let's start again. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name, bringing an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The people of God are called out to worship and honor God. The problem with the world, the fall happens when people choose to try and create their own project of making ourselves the glorious ones. They fall to the temptation of the snake to become like God's. The people of God in the Old Testament are called out to actually then re-engage in the correct order of how God set out creation in which we are called to give honor and glory and worship to God. Sometimes the church goes wrong when actually we chase glory ourselves. The church when the church is being the church, is not about creating superstars or superstar churches or superstar followers. It's actually creating people who point the glory back to God. That's the essence of worship. Yes, worship is singing, but worship is ultimately, as Romans tells us, offering our whole lives as a living sacrifice. We're also called to be shaped by God through being shaped by his word. Joshua 1.8 says this, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the left or to the right, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law, the Torah, the instructions always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Now, this is really key. As we said, the people of God are called out, but you always call that into a context. And every cultural context that the people of God have always found themselves in, way back from ancient Babylon to 21st century Melbourne, you will find other gospels, other worldviews, other stories which claim dominance and superiority to the Christian story. The church will always find itself surrounded by pressures where people are asking you to adopt another scripture, which is seen as transcendent and superior to the word of God. So what's key is God gives us his revelation. He gives us his word to help us to continue to be shaped like him, to become like him so that we can serve the world. So central to what it is to be the people of God is to be shaped by his word and not just to read it, not just to know as an intellectual exercise. What we see here in the the, uh, book of Joshua is this meditating on it, this, this always being on our lips, 
day and night. That is language where someone is being reshaped by a truth. It's not just an intellectual exercise. Okay, so I want to pause at this point. We are called out to be the people of God. We are separated to serve. We're called to be holy, different to the world, not stained by sin and brokenness. We're called to reflect God's glory in the world. We're called to honor and worship God's uh, glory. And we are shaped by his word. Now, all of this sounds incredible. But then when we look at this in the reality of our humanness, we can begin to wonder how we're going to do this. It's really interesting. One of the things that we've been looking at here at RED is what is it to belong to RED? You know, we've looked at different things like membership and so on. And one of the things that will often come up is that when you talk about what it is to belong to a church is that people often say to you, well, hang on, what we're going to be really careful here is when we're including people in church that we don't make the bar too high. Reading this, the bar set by God is really, really high. This is an exclusive vision in many ways. And what we see with the Hebrew people called to be the people of God in the Hebrew scriptures is they are called out with a new identity. They're called to serve. Often they don't serve others. Often they actually fall in that task. Why? Because they've been shaped not by the Torah, not by the, the word of God. They're shaped by the voice of the nations and the other culture around them. And often the people called to be paragons of justice, reflecting God's righteousness in the world, actually are people who embody injustice and unrighteousness in the world. And as we look as the church, as the people of God in the New Testament, and then in history since the end of the New Testament and the beginning of the era of the church, often we see examples where the church, just like Israel did, has fallen short of the glory of God, has not reflected the, the God's idea of justice, has not reflected holiness, has not been shaped by the word of God, but instead have gone with the currents of culture and the pressures all around and become like the nations, our ideologies of our day. And so how do we, then as the people of God, live up to this bar. The bar is simply too high. But this is where there's good news. We are called to live according to the gospel truth of God's love. And I just want to read on. Because what we see then in the New Testament, this moment when the Spirit falls and Peter preaches, there's this great line. In Acts 2, verse 36 to 37, Peter's done this incredible speech where he's talked about how God called out the Hebrew people, called them to be different, all the whole biblical story he sets out. And then he says that actually, in a sense, what he's saying is we cannot do it, but Jesus can. So therefore, he says this, verse uh, 36, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. So we've really not reached the bar here. God has sent his son and Jesus has been crucified by humanity. who was both Lord and Messiah. And then when the people hear this, and this is the line I just want to emphasize with my 
metaphorical giant highlighter. They were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? The bar's really high. But these people are cut to the heart. And what they're realizing is that the vision we see of the church in the New Testament is not a bunch of people who can live to that super high bar in their own strength where they can reflect everything and be this just perfect vision of the people of God in their own strength. What they're realizing at that moment, the translation of cut to the heart, is they're realizing how much they've actually failed. And this is one of the paradoxes of the church that's so important for us to realize. Being part of the church is realizing that you cannot live up to this call in your own strength. Entry to the church is in a sense realizing that you can't do it. That actually what the church is, is a group of people, the people of God who are shaped by grace. Let's read on. Acts 38 to 41. Sorry, Acts chapter 2, 38 to 41. Peter replies, when they're like, what shall we do? Peter replies to them and says this, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. He's saying you cannot do this. You cannot be part of the people of God in your own strength. No one on earth is good enough to live up to that high bar. So the bar of entry to the church is actually really high. But the paradox is none of us can actually reach that bar to be part of the people of God in our own strength. We actually fall short of the glory of God. But what Peter is reminding the people here that what he's learned from Jesus, Peter, who himself, Jesus said, upon whom the the church will be built, Peter gets the message of grace. He remembers the time that he got it wrong, even to the point when he was trying to insert his own agenda and Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. So this is a man who has realized his own failing. And this is really key because with church, well-intentioned people can try and make it about our own agenda, our own particularities, our own little way, our own stories from the past. And what this is saying is the church has a foundation. The people of God are a people of grace. To repent and be baptized. You can't do this in your own strength. We cannot at this moment of post-Christianity, of individualism, of pandemic, of misinformation, polarization, all the cultural crazy stuff going on. We cannot do it in our own strength. And what we need is actually a church that's not coming in earthly power, but actually coming from God's power when we let that run free because we're not trying to push our own agenda here. We realize that we're covered in grace. He says this, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice there's repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You get the power after you realize that you have no power. You get the spirit after you've grasped what Jesus did on the cross and bend your knee. 
The promise is for you and your children, friend, for all who are far off. This is a message which is going out for all whom the Lord our God will call. These are the people who become part of the church. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. The way into the church is not over a high bar, but with a bended knee. So therefore, the church is a community shaped by the gospel who therefore can preach the gospel because it's changed them. Who realized that all of our strategizing, our ideas, our agendas that we bring, none of them can live up to the love of God who gave his only son so that we may have eternal life. The church is a people called by God and shaped by his love. And you've been called by that love. And maybe you've got hurt from your past about the church. Maybe there's disappointments. Maybe there's disconnection in this season. Maybe you're sitting here after how many weeks of wanting to get back in person and you're looking on a screen. But in the midst of this moment, the unshakable truth remains that Jesus died for you. I think the great lesson of this season is for the church is we can't do this in our own strength, but we are called to be a community of grace, realizing God's strength, realizing that he's called you, he's separated you to serve. He wants to change you to become like Jesus. But the way into that process is with the bended knee. Bishop Leslie Newbegin said this, when asked really, I was trying to explain what the mission of the church looks like in this post-Christian reality. He said this, I'm suggesting that the only answer is a congregation of men and women who believe it and live by it. Yep, lots of people switched off in this time. Many churches are emerging and when we emerge here in Victoria, I don't know what it's gonna look like exactly. I don't know who's gonna come back. But my prayer is not that, it's masses of people who are just gonna fill pews because that looks good. I think the prayer of the people of God is this moment, that the future of the church, with all the challenges that faces, is actually a group of people who believe it and live by it because they know that the way in is not over, but with a bended knee, who are shaped by grace, called by God, separated to serve. You have been called. You've been shaped in ways that perhaps you've not even seen in the last 18 months. And I'm really excited by what God is going to do in the next season. Let me pray. God, we deeply recognize our weakness. And we just want to say thank you. We can't live up to a bar, the bar that we put in the world We can't be holy in our own strength. We can't be just in our own strength. We can't be righteous in our own strength. We can't be successful in our own strength. Our secular and religious projects to jump over that bar, we can't make it. But you on the cross, you give us grace. So my prayer is that we as the people of God can be shaped by the love of God as you gave your only son on the cross. 
so that we may live. And may we as a church be shaped by the good news of your gospel, by the reality of your love. Give us the power of the Holy Spirit, but we recognize that we only get to that place when we realize our own lack of power. And at this moment of challenge in so many ways for the church, I thank you that you've been strengthening us in ways perhaps we haven't even noticed. Be with us now, we ask and pray. Help us to be your people in the world. Amen.